Welcome back. I am Ryan. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Joe. This time, we are going to be discussing a movie I haven't seen since I was a kid. Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. And just for the record, so it's out there officially, Kevin Conroy is my Batman. There's the argument between... Oh, who do we have? Christian Bale. Keaton. uh, Val Kilmer. George Clooney. Adam West. Batfleck. Adam West. Okay. Yeah, Adam West is a good runner-up. I watched that a lot as a kid, Like, he's in there. Come on. But Kevin Conroy, when I think of Batman, especially when I hear Batman, when I imagine that, or when I hear any kind of cartoon or game that's not Kevin Conroy, it sounds wrong. You know, just like I was telling you earlier today, you know, that's my Batman. Mark Hamill's my Joker. Mm -hmm. Michael Rosenbaum is my Flash. There's a few others there. There are those iconic voices from the old cartoon series. You know, Commissioner Gordon, what he's supposed to sound like and act like from that cartoon. You know, what Robin was supposed to sound like from that cartoon. That 93, 92 Batman series. Yeah. Now, I know part of that's going to be nostalgia for us having grown up in that generation, watched those growing up. I mean, just like, you know, some actual... And I know I get called this, but I don't actually fall into this category. But some actual boomers who would call the Adam West Batman their Batman because it's what they watched. It's what they knew. Um, but yeah, watching that that Batman series, that voice, the voices of the characters in it, it's really hard for me not to agree with you. Yeah. I can at least say before we get into any of this, I had not seen mask of the phantasm back when it came out now i watched the show probably have seen all if almost all if not all the episodes uh and i i know i've seen it they came out with more than just that movie right there were other movies with batman that version though wb batman i believe so and the batman from later shows you know there was batman and superman and justice league and things like that they were all really the same batman even though the art style changed. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why some of those characters are so ingrained in my sort of awareness of pop culture is because they were around for so long, you know, from the time I was little, that was Batman. And then, you know, still in stuff, he's voicing Batman, you know, like stuff I was watching in 1993 and 94 had the same guy voicing Batman who voiced him in Arkham Knight. Yep. Yep just a couple years ago. Like that's a long run. That's a long run. I, I would have to say after watching this, uh, as I said, I had not seen it. So it was really fun to go back. I had not watched the animated Batman like that in many years. And I just off tops, I would say as far as animation is concerned, D his DC has crushed Marvel. Their animation all of their cartoons have always been better than any of the Marvel cartoons I've seen come out. And I grew up, you know, I remember the X-Men animated series, which was Mm -hmm. real good. But overall, DC may not do so well in the live-action movies, but their cartoons just crushed it. And having watched this, it reminded me how much Mark Hamill's Joker, which I didn't find out till years later, that he was the one who voiced him and was just shocked. Was like, what? Luke Luke Skywalker? What? But (laughs) that Joker is the best Joker. And I know Heath Ledger Ledger did a good job. Uh, Jack Nicholson, I was going to say something that wasn't that at all, but he (laughs) did a good job as his Jack Napier version of Joker in the original uh, Michael Keaton Batman But this Joker, the Joker that is in this series, really walks the line between crazy Joker, jokey joke type Joker, and I'm insane and could kill you at any moment, Joker. Yes. He's always balanced. It's a it he he crushes that. And I forgot how much that's what I want in my Joker. Maybe because of this, maybe because of growing up with this, but that's what Joker should be. That he is, you don't know what he's going to do. And the Heath Ledger Joker, I just felt like he was, 
he didn't have that. He he played a very interesting take on the Joker, and it was super well done, and probably should have gotten at least an Academy Award nod. I mean, maybe not win it outright, but should have at least been nominated for that because that was it was a hell of a role that he played. But this Joker that's in these cartoons, that's Joker. Yeah. And I always thought the cartoons did a better job of portraying like who Batman is supposed to be. Because in the last, really since the Christian Bale movies came out, he was less of a detective. You know, he's from Detective Comics. He's called the world's greatest detective, mm-hmm. but he doesn't do any detective work, especially in the Christian Bale ones, which is something that bothered me a little. I mean, some of it is detective work. Some of it is dangling dudes off a building and saying, where are the other drugs going? <laughs> but I don't know. I, I don't like the like over-reliance on technology and stuff like that. You know, in I swear um, to God, swear to me. <laughs> In one of the later movies, he drills a brick out of a wall and uses some kind of computer thing to reassemble fragments, like scanned fragments of a bullet and get a mm-hmm. fingerprint off it or whatever. Yeah. It's like, ugh, don't give me that. Give me Batman doing Batman stuff. You know, I mean, in the, in this, he does a little bit of that. It's not a ton, but there is some like there's figuring stuff out. That's a lot yes. of what the Batman stories were. And a lot of it came down to his origin story. You know, it didn't used to be so much of a focus on the tragedy driving him forward in the old comics. It was a lot of, I guess, kind of this, his motivation was not to avenge anything. It was to make sure this doesn't happen to somebody else. That's always Mm -hmm. how I interpreted it. And his whole deal wasn't like he trained to be the baddest he can be. He trained his mind and body to the peak of human perfection. That's I think that's literally what it said in the old comics. So he knew all this stuff, you know, like he finds chemicals. He's talking about chemicals in this one, you know, and Alfred's kind of gives him this like, well, you know, like whatever kind of (laughs) response when he's talking about them. But it's old school Batman stuff that he would know something like that. He would recognize like, okay, this thing that looks mystical or whatever, this was done with some kind of chemical. Somebody used some kind of chemical to obscure this guy's windshield and caused him to crash or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That the Arkham games were really good about that too. And that's something that I have noticed. I noticed it in the Batman movies as well. It's a big part of Batman. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's, I, I mean, I like how you put it, uh, that you said it was pulled straight from the comment that he, the comic that he is the pinnacle of what the human body and mind can be. So I guess another way of saying that is Batman's muscles. Our number one <laughs> Batman's hippocampus <laughs> is number one. <laughs> okay. But like, really? Oh my God. That is such a, it is. It's such a, there's, there's, there's like three parts to what makes up Batman and what makes him as good as what he is. The detective part is one third of that. It's part of it. And if you take that away, you really only have two thirds of a Batman. You have him being strong and capable and skillful as far as physically. And then you have him being dark and menacing and intimidating. But without that detective aspect, it's not the same character. Yeah. And then the other aspect of it is willpower. Doing what he's doing because he's choosing to do it, not because he's like mentally ill or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, it, it, it's so hard to just do what you're supposed to do. Sometimes it's something I've been working on lately. Like if I notice something like, oh, I should do this. Like I've kind of trained myself to a point where it'll bother me if I don't. Like if I notice like, oh, there's a can I didn't realize I left there. Like I have to put it in the recycling now. I'm trying to make myself better. You know, I'm trying to make myself work on things that otherwise I could just let go. And it's, I mean, that's just like house stuff that I'm talking about. Right. (laughs) Just getting yourself to the point where you're like, all right, I should do this. Or, yeah, did I close that door? I probably did. I probably locked it, but I should check. Cause like, what if I didn't, you know, what could happen if you didn't is so much worse than just 
you know, the, the initial inconvenience of going to check or whatever, like that's little stuff mm-hmm. that we all do. But yeah, his thing, especially in this movie is, and again, I like it better than it's a mental illness thing. And he has to, he chose to, he made a promise to his parents that he would do this thing, you know, try to make sure this doesn't happen to people anymore. Try to make Gotham a better place. And this one in particular deals with his struggle to keep doing that. But it's something that's in all of his stuff. Like he always has a contingency plan. He always works hard. You know, it's like he just I mean, even even in um, what is it? The Dark Knight, like the the actual Frank Miller comic mm-hmm. where he fights Superman. He is capable of doing anything because he is prepared with enough prep time. He can do anything, you know, I mean, that's. That's why Batman can take down the entire Justice League. Yeah. Every other character of the Justice League is infinitely more powerful than him, with the possible exception of Green Arrow, who is also just a guy. Yeah. They're but supposed, the, yeah. The rest of them, there should be no choice, no chance. Like, there's no way that... But it's Batman, and so you're going to lose because he has worked out every possible computation, permutation of different things, scenarios, everything. That's what yeah, he does. Because he got now, up earlier than you. That's right. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed this. I'm glad that you chose for us to watch this. It was really nice going back and, you know, the very beginning of it in this Mask of the Phantasm cartoon, the campiness of him busting in on some gangsters and the fights and then beating him up and how that all goes down. And that were just brought me back to when I was younger and the, the Joker being in it again and reminding me how much I enjoyed that Joker. That was all good. But the real thing that really, really put this over the top is Batman's struggle in it. Mm. It's, they don't show that side a lot because I mean, maybe in the comics there's more than I realize. but Batman doesn't have a lot of love interests. Or there's not a lot of times where he really, really wants this other thing. A different life. Yeah. And he might have a chance at it, like a real chance at it. But this did a really good job of showing you, you know, a a different side of Batman as it was a vulnerable side, a, you know, him, him battling that it's like you said, the willpower, him fighting against himself. And do this thing that I have put in front of myself, this goal of being the Dark Knight and doing what I can to save Gotham and, you know, the world sometimes. But it's really, really well done for for a, a 90s cartoon. But the writing in it is really well done to show the pain and anguish this character goes through trying to decide what's best for his life, which is hard for any of us to figure out what should we be doing in life? You making the choices you're making right now. Do you go forward and plunge into the unknown that you've never done, but you've always wanted to, or do you go back to what you know and do the daily grind, which, because you know, that's maybe more safe. Like what, what is the best choice for any of us? And everybody, every single human being has that battle within them. What should I be doing with my life? Nobody really gets away from it. And so it was it was really well done in that, I thought. And was, I really appreciated that. I was surprised when you first picked it. And I like, oh, is this because I see that it'll pop up on Hulu or Netflix or whatever, or even my YouTube. It'll pop up and they'll show these different Batman movies and they're new things. They're more uh, new animated movies that have come out. And I'm like, oh, I just assumed it was one of those. And then I found it and was like, what? <laughs> it, but it was really well done. Still campy, still straight out of the 90s. But it really showed him as a character in a light that you don't always see Batman in. And it was really well done in that. Yeah, I always liked that this version of Batman... It wasn't just brute force and technology. You know, a lot of the games you're relying on technology. You're replaying a crime scene or whatever based on your computerized stuff. There's not really a lot of having to figure things out. 
And I played some like Sherlock Holmes games and things like that, where you do have to figure stuff out. You have to try to arrange clues or figure out what happened. You know, there is kind of like the Eagle vision type thing or detective vision type thing where you can see like, Oh, there's something here that I should be looking at, but you still have to figure out what it is, what it does, like what there's yeah, footprints yeah. here. What does that mean? There's like a spot here that's less dusty than the rest of the shelf. That probably means there used to be something there that was taken stuff like that. And that's all missing from the games. And I get that it's hard to put that kind of stuff in a game, but I like these older cartoons because they had that kind of stuff. And they also had stuff where, you know, another thing that Bruce would do is he would go undercover. He would do things not as Batman. He would disguise himself. It's, it's kind of made a comeback in a couple of the newer uh, cartoon movies that are adaptations of some of the comics. But it's something I always really liked. I remember as a kid watching some of these where there'd be a whole episode where he almost never wears the Batman costume because he's disguised or whatever, doing something else. But it's OK. It adds another element to it that and another sort of option of how to attack a particular situation. You know, that's that's not just him busting in his Batman and beating people up. You know, it's like I really like elementary the Sherlock Holmes show with Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu. Yeah. You mentioned that before that it was good, but, and I actually think it might be now that I've seen how the whole Sherlock BBC show went, I think elementary was better because the BBC one just went completely off the rails. But what I don't like is that everything is murder. There were a lot of crimes or, or just mysteries in the Sherlock Holmes books that weren't just a murder. And sometimes that's more mysterious because, you you know, there's only so many reasons you want to kill somebody or so many ways somebody turns up dead. But there yeah. are a lot of reasons why something might go missing or why, you know, somebody that you're dealing with is saying they're going one place and they're going another or, you know, whatever. There's a robbery or things go missing when everything's locked up there. There's just so many options other than somebody getting killed. And there's so many options for dealing with a situation other than just putting on a bat costume and punching people. And I anyway, that's a long road to my point, which is there's a lot more nuance and complexity and subtlety and, you know, variety in the stories that they used to tell through these kids cartoons than there is in some of the newer movies. Yeah, I I mean, I haven't watched as many newer movies, but I'd have to agree with that. It I was just based on this one, having watched the Mask of the Phantasm. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, I don't want to say a twist in it, but a reveal. And when the reveal happens... I mean, the whole thing is around a mystery, pretty much. Yeah. So, But when when the reveal, I'd say, happens, the mystery that is kind of being worked out, I had guessed what it was going to be from, I don't know, 20 minutes into the movie, and I already knew. But that didn't make the movie itself any less compelling. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was because I've seen so many of those cartoons and it made the most sense for it to happen that way. And there was a couple of moments where I questioned it. Is it, is it, was I, was I wrong? And I ended up not being wrong. My initial gut feeling was correct, but just that, like that didn't matter because it was almost just a character piece you know, this character study on who is Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Like, what does this person really want out of their life? Mm-hmm. And are they are they willing to give up certain things for their ideals? So I guess we should give I'll give a short synopsis. Since we haven't really talked about what the movie's about. The movie takes place kind of in two timelines. There's the past and then there's present day for this story. Mm -hmm. The past is Bruce training to become Batman. He's still learning. He's on his journey towards the end of it. He's, you know, going out on missions and trying to save people and kind of developing the Batman persona and figuring out, you know, the outfit, the look, the, you know, the kind of way he's going to put his own signature stank on it as opposed to just being a guy in a mask beating people up. And along the way, he meets a girl that he falls in love with. And he, for a time, considers abandoning his mission. 
And then in the present day, there's a new villain in town. And at the same time, he's also dealing with the fact that this person who he loved before is back all of a sudden. And that's, I guess, about all we should really say. But there is, you know, Joker stuff. There's a lot of good Batman stuff that happens. But it's a movie I remember really enjoying as a kid. And one of the things that I've noticed with these shows in particular, these DC shows, is that they hold up really well. They're mm-hmm. really well written. The animation style is really good. The The technology and all that that they have is kind of timeless. There's nothing that really dates it. It's very much supposed to be, you know, gothic and all that as far as the architecture. But the technology is kind of all over the place as to, you know, things that were unbelievable and completely out there when I was a kid watching this stuff for the first time is real now. Yeah. You know, there are episodes with basically unmanned aerial drones with explosive charges on them that somebody's <laughs> controlling from a remote location. It's like, oh, that could never happen. Nope, that's that could totally be real now. Yeah, I think there have probably been other shows about it, but. And I think they handle all the characters very well. The balance of, you know, who did what wrong or, or whatever. There's no, you know, kind of oversimplifying a story to put all of the blame for any particular situation on one person. Yep. Does that makes sense. A, it did do a good job of that. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to Bruce and his love interest talking about what happened, neither one is clearly in the right or the wrong. Neither one is like better than the other. It, it's just all handled really well. A lot better than most shows now, I would say. Yeah, they because every character is fleshed out. They feel real. They have their own motivations. They do things for a reason. And you understand that reason. And then another character might be upset about it for a reason. And we understand that reason. It feels real. Yeah, they they talk about that in writing. Figuring out why, if you're going to bring a character in, you're going to add some sort of, what do they want? Even if it's something simple, like this character is going to go deal with a shopkeeper. What does the shopkeeper want? Does he just want to sell his products? Does maybe he has something else going on? But we, you've mentioned it in other things, how the small things like that, uh, characters having their own just little interests, little other things going on that aren't uh, uh, all about whatever the main character is. It's not only about that one, you know, guy or girl. That that's what makes a world feel lived in. I think the what I'm thinking of is when we reviewed American Animals and the kid goes back to his parents' house and he's kind of talking to him about some stuff and they can see that, you know, he's kind of off a little bit, but they kind of, they have their own stuff going on. So they don't fixate on their son about it and it makes it feel like they have their own things going on as characters, even though they're very minor characters and aren't really, you know, in the story very much. It just helps to really flesh out the world. And this had that a lot, all these ancillary characters the gangster characters it was fun to see uh jim's jim gordon and bullock is that yeah. that cop who the big guy who never liked never liked them yep it was fun to see these guys again uh, as a little road down nostalgia lane but it it is it's surprising that and maybe that's why we're more discerning because of growing up with stuff like this stuff that was well-written characters that were fleshed out that, you know, had tough choices they had to make that nothing was black and white, that there were so many different shades of gray and it's not all this person's fault or all that person's fault. And it can be seen from both sides. Yeah. And not kind of boxing yourself in maybe not, not coming in with some preconceived notion of what you want to do, or I've heard some, I don't know if it's studios or production company. Like, I don't know exactly who in the the chain of, of entities that develop this stuff sets these rules. But I've heard that, th- that some of them have rules regarding like what this type of character can do or how this type of interaction can go. You know, like some of them won't allow a man to hit a woman is what I've heard, which is why in some of these movies where there's an interaction between a female hero or villain and a male hero or villain the fight doesn't really happen. You know, either the woman gets away or the guy like, you know, something happens that prevents him from being like this big knockdown drag out fight that you would have expected. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's a subverting expectations thing, but I, I just feel like this was from a time where we didn't have those kind of things to worry about and stuff was better. 
you know, yeah. you have stuff like the I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this because I was just watching some stuff about the new He-Man series, the Masters of the Universe one that apparently yeah. is awful. I, I had seen some stuff on it as well. Yes, sir. Yeah, I saw where uh, what's his name? Kevin Smith had tweeted like, nope, this is totally a He-Man show. It's all about He-Man. And then He-Man's in it for like maybe 30 minutes out of those six episodes. Right. And it's all about Tila. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I get that there's a lot of stuff about like the Beckdale test, which I, if I'm remembering right off the top of my head, was this kind of hypothetical test to see if a movie is fair towards women, which is like, are there more than one woman? Do they talk to each other? And do they talk about something other than a man? And this movie technically doesn't pass that because there's only one female character, really. And that's the love interest. Yeah. But she feels way more fleshed out and real than like she's 10 times more real than Captain Marvel. Oh, for sure. Carol Danvers has zero personality, zero background, zero motivation. I mean, we get that she's motivated to help people because she has that line in um, Endgame where they were like, well, where were you? And she's like, well, the rest of the universe doesn't have the Avengers or whatever. Oh, yeah. The, this happened across the whole universe and all of those a bunch of planets and they all didn't have you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, what what why are you doing that? What's your motivation to do that? You know, yeah, like they just they I mean, never established any reason for her to be doing the stuff she's doing. It's the big part that's missing from her character development. She never had well any development. She never had like a thing that she was trying to do or a reason for doing it. You know, it's it's very played out but a lot of the time the reason is loss and trying to prevent that from happening to somebody else but she just has no reason for doing what she's doing and this yeah, like movie, she was an earthling she came from earth yeah and the only i mean she got taken and then used by this other race and so that wouldn't necessarily make her want to go help somewhere other than earth but she has no allegiance to earth we don't know what her allegiance is to like it's all Whatever you want it to be, I guess. Yeah, like we know Peter Quill doesn't want to come back to Earth because, you know, like Yandu even says, like, you don't care about Earth or Terra or whatever they call it. And he's like, yeah, because, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. The The and last thing that happened what? on Earth was his mother dying and he got taken away. And now he's just he's just living a life in another place. Like, that's his whole thing. He's just doing the thing that people who took him do. And then he kind of stumbles into this hero thing by accident. He gets hooked up with these people and he just does the right thing. You know, he tries to, you know, this guy, oh, this guy wants to destroy this entire planet full of people. We should probably try to stop that. You know, his motivation is very clear. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's kind of just a normal dude who stumbled into it. Tony Stark, it was like a redemption thing because his company was making these weapons and he didn't know they were selling them to the bad guys as well as the good guys. You know, all of them have, I guess Thor is probably the the least uh, fleshed out motivation of the main characters. And Banner. Banner's kind of along for the ride. Yeah, like I think I feel like Banner, I know he's the Hulk and Hulk smash and all that, but he, he'd rather just go be in a laboratory somewhere mm-hmm. and not deal with any of this big world ending. He just he just wants to go be a scientist and. He's just keeps being brought into these things. And I mean, that's okay too. It's, it's an okay way to go about it that he just keeps stumbling into these different things. I think the heck the, the TV show probably did a better job of showing that and showing him as a character than Carol Danvers got. Yeah. It's just, that was real bad. And the stuff that happens with the love interest in this movie, it all makes sense. The things mm-hmm. that she does, the reason she leaves, the reason she comes back, it all makes sense. They're all there are reasons for the way she behaves. There are reasons for the, the way that she interacts with Bruce and how they, you know, how things end up with their situation. It all makes sense. But yeah, that one doesn't like, oh, hey, I remember everything. You're my best friend and you're her daughter. And this is really cool that we're together. All right. Bye. I'm never coming back or I'll see y'all in like 10 or 15 years. Like page me. If you need me on Earth. Right. Well, look at with what you just said, whatever that test was that 
you know, to show things. Mm-hmm. Look at the original Alien movie. I, I think she might have been the only female character in that movie. And how great a character is Ripley. Yeah, I I think all this stuff with diversity and, you know, ticking boxes and making sure you have certain interactions and all that. I don't like it. <laughs> I get what they're going for, but I don't like it because it gets in the way of good writing. It does. You know, good it's, writing has to come first. Yeah, it's I mean, there are so many characters who came around without having to be the result of something like that, who were the type of character they're trying to bring around more now. You know, people who basically just aren't white men because most of them were. And that's because most of the people making the stuff were right. It all makes sense. But there are plenty of characters who aren't and there could be more who aren't. But it's like when you put these, I just feel like when you put limitations on it, that these interactions have to go this certain way. Or these are the kind of things you're allowed to show and these are the kind of things you're not. You don't end up with something as good and sort of timeless as Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah, timeless is a good way to put this. It's, I know, it's just this campy cartoon from our childhood. But it's so much more well done than a lot of the stuff that comes out these days. It kind of caught me by surprise because of that. I didn't expect it. I didn't remember how good I remember enjoying the Batman shows and watching them and liking them, but I didn't realize they were giving me something that when I became an adult, I wasn't going to get. Yeah. Good writing. Right. Well, and something being consistent with your character. That's true. Yeah. They do seem to be the same people all the time. None of them just do a, a 180 on their personality for a minute for the sake of getting the story to a particular point they want to do. Mm hmm. The my brain stopped. <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> I just want to keep talking more about the writing. I, I the other point I would make with it is that I like that it doesn't spoon feed you anything. I mean, it kind of does. It makes everything obvious if you pay attention to it. Mm, you know, yeah. when Batman's watching stuff going on, the thing that he's looking at, you can see reflected in the binoculars that he's using and, and stuff like that. And then they have really simple stuff that used to happen with movies, which is that if you see what it, the, the rule is like, if there's a if you show a shotgun in act one, it has to go off by the certain point or else don't have it in there. Mm, got you. It's there was some, you know, old quote like that. I, somebody listening to this is probably going to be pissed that I don't remember exactly who said it and what it was, <laughs> but it's something like that. I mean, there's even stuff like that. You know, some of the props that you see around when the Joker's around, it's like, okay, something's going to happen with that later. Mm-hmm. And it does. They actually, you know, they do it. And it's it just shows that they planned that out. They took the effort to establish that this stuff was here that's going to be used later. And then when you have, you know, the these things that Batman's finding or that this girl's finding out or whoever's doing, you know, they don't have to. I just feel like now you would have an inner monologue come up or an, a scene later where two characters are talking and explaining to each other what they found. And I, I here's my old man thing. I think it's because of cell phones. Cause I watched, okay. have you ever seen Tinker Taylor soldier spy? I haven't. You've mentioned it several times. And because of you mentioning it, it really makes me want to what, like we should do it for the podcast because mm-hmm. I've never seen it. I, I read a bunch of the uh, George Smiley books and that's what it's based off. It's based off of one of the John le Carre's George Smiley novels, but they're, they're spy books. All right. And it's a movie that doesn't talk a lot. There isn't a lot of telling you what's going on. There's not a lot of characters talking to each other, explaining what's happening. There's a lot of like following and these tracking shots where you see things that are happening but none of it is said out loud or or very little of it is said out loud, which makes it very interesting and very captivating. But I watched it with somebody who was, and I warned her that it was like this and she still was playing with a cell phone and then looking at what's going on. And then look back, looking back at the phone. Oh, what, what, what's going on? I didn't hear anything. And I had to stop it. And then I went and watched it later. I was like, let's, let's do something else now and we'll watch this later. And I wonder if that's the reason Okay, because they assume people are going to be distracted. 
that they that they do stuff like that now they explain things to you in such an explicit way that's really sad because mm-hmm. i mean i've don't get me wrong i found myself doing that and if it's in a movie and i'm like messing around i look up and i'm like oh i think i missed something that's the cue in my brain to be like all right it's time to put this bad boy down and rewind it and just watch whatever i'm watching my show my movie whatever it is but that does make sense and it's it's a little sad that some, I mean, not all, but that the movies that are coming out or shows that are coming out are starting to do things based on that, that they think they have to expunge information and tell people everything versus either leaving it a mystery on purpose and letting you just figure out like at the end of Inception, what happens at the end of Inception? Does it, does the spinning top, like, what does it mean? Oh, that's for you to figure out. Yeah, and I'm 100% okay with it being left that way. I know some people aren't. Some people have to know like what the writer intended. You know, like you were talking about what was really supposed to be said by Forrest Gump in that scene where mm-hmm. you can't hear him. And I know people obsessed over like what was in the briefcase in Pulp oh, Fiction. Right, yeah, oh my God. And what, there was an interview with John Travolta or Sam Jackson or somebody from the movie, and they're like, so what was in the briefcase? And they're like, a uh, light bulb. <laughs> nice because <laughs> it's like you're you're just supposed to assume it's whatever whatever would make you look like that that's what you're supposed to assume it is yeah i assumed it was like gold looked like light was reflecting off a whole ton of gold and he was yeah. that that's what i thought but that's not what that's not what's important what's yeah. important is the story around it what's inside the briefcase is inconsequential it's a little right, mcguffin it's a, the uh-huh. most basic mcguffin you can have and the, the thing that made that great is you didn't know. Unlike a movie like Seven, and he's like, what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> you had to know what was in the box in that particular case because yeah. it really kind of tied everything together. It, yeah, it mattered. It mattered for that. But yeah, they had a MacGuffin and they just left it. You know, hey, it, do, it doesn't matter at all what's in this. This is just like the inciting thing. But okay. I... Uh, I think we've talked very little about the movie and we've talked a lot about it and just that it's a better quality movie than most today. Yeah. We're not going over scene by scene talking about why this was good or why that was good. And it's a short movie. It's like an hour and 10 minutes without credits. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe hour 15 ish. I think it's It's, an hour 15 or 16 with the credits. So yeah, probably subtract a little for, for those, but yeah, it's pretty short, but it tells a whole complete story. It's very, you know, simple and honest and it is what it is and it's not trying to pander and it's a really good representation of Batman and his balance as Batman and Bruce Wayne Mm -hmm. and even some of Alfred's concerns and his love life and the fact that he almost didn't become Batman or, you know, almost abandoned his mission and then the Joker doing Joker stuff. There's a, a graphic novel that I could loan you that I kind of forgot about until we started talking about this called Joker. And it follows the Joker and this henchman and the henchman's like trying to cozy up to him. And it's that same feeling you talked about that, you know, the Joker's super dangerous. You just don't know when it's going to happen. And it's a little stressful with this guy. Cause there are these moments where he's trying to cozy up to the Joker and it's like, dude, this is not going to go well for you. And it's, <laughs> just watching how this relationship kind of unfolds. And there's also moments. Yeah. There's also a Harley Quinn one, same sort of thing where she's like, it's her, her story of how she became Harley Quinn and how she got sucked in by the Joker and all this really good. But it's, it, it portrays both of those characters very well, you know, both the Joker's unpredictability and also that like cunning that he has too. like a lot Mm -hmm. of that is on purpose to, bring you in but then he does have this sort of instability this like uncontrollable anger that can come over him for almost any reason that it's like you just never know when one of the other is going to happen because he's at an 11 all the time (laughs) you're not wrong joker you're in about an 11 we need you at about a four if you could help us out there with that sir (laughs) that's a jack nicholson joker (laughs) there were some you know not perfect things in this uh it's so it's not you know just a hundred percent it's just the best thing ever this batman is is we really like 
the Kevin Conroy Batman. We really like the Mark Hamill Joker. But one of the issues becomes because of when it came out and what was done. It's it's a little campy. And that's okay for what it is. There's nothing wrong with that. But some of the things that I thought were inconsistent is in the very beginning. Uh, when it starts out and he storms that room with the little gangster guys and he's beating everybody up. A couple of gangsters like pull out guns and he uses one batarang to take two guns out in two different guys' hands with one batarang. And then later in that same, this same movie, there's like these, the flying things you talked about. In this case, it happens to be little airplanes Mm -hmm. and their propeller blades are sharp enough to kind of cut him. And so that's why they become dangerous. Where's the batarangs then? Like he has trouble fighting these things, and I feel like he could just like bing, 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 bing. All right, well, I threw some batarangs. Your planes are now done, but they just wanted to, you know, not take these particular threats out quite as quickly. Well, I, I don't know if that's true or not. He uses the batarangs in a lot of those cartoons to like knock stuff out of people's hands. He does, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it. I don't think I would have bought it if he used the batterings to take those out and uh, really it it's doesn't the, remind it's me the one thing that made the most sense to me hey uh. these flying things coming at me i'm going to use my projectile weapons to take them down and then go continue to chase this villain yeah but they would have just bounced off the propellers i mean maybe i mean that's my anyway it <laughs> does bring up another minor praise for the old show is that they made use of the cape it there did. were a lot of times where batman would make use of his cape for one reason or another, or, or even in the scene where he's escaping from the police and he takes off the whole mask and cape to distract them and gets away like that. There are a lot of older stories where he did stuff like that, where it's, you know, like now taking off the mask just doesn't happen, but he's resourceful. He's not Iron Man. He doesn't have technology or he's not, wasn't supposed to originally. Now he does. Now he has a tool for everything, but you know, he had a basic toolkit before, well, I don't know about that. The Adam West Batman had shark repellent. Hey, it's canon. It's canon, man. What do you want me to do? That's what it is. It's there. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I will say that was a really good scene where he almost gets caught by the police and he he barely gets away and he only gets away because he gets help. Yep. Like that was another very interesting scene that you you don't see that a whole lot with Batman because of the preparations and things that he does. Well, that's why he's so good. He's ready for pretty much every eventuality that you could, that you could have, but he's also like almost superhuman in a lot of modern stories. Like in the court of owls series, he, there's a point where he gets like run through and he just like slinks off into the dark and escapes. And he's like, totally fine. You know, there, there are a lot of, stories you know in the in the comics there are a lot of movies shows whatever where he receives injuries that are really really life-threatening and he kind of like shrugs it off or or walks it off and just walk it out just rub some dirt in that thing and you'll be fine yeah where in this it was like oh shit these these little plane things like cut me you know it's something to worry about or you know in like the dark knight there's a similar scene where he's trying to escape from police and he's like busting through the floors and stuff to grab him. You know, it's like the Batman from uh, Batman versus Superman, where he's like busting through the floor to like take out some of these guys out and doing things that, you know, border on superhuman. Well, they, they are basically superhuman. I mean, we don't exactly, I guess, know what the complete like total limits of human ability are, but I'm technically. I don't know. It He seems a lot more like a guy in a suit who's really skilled, but he's not. He can't take on a whole, you know, group of police. He can't take out like 50 officers. Yeah. Or in The Dark Knight Rises, when we talk about injuries, Bane breaks his back mm-hmm. to come back from that. Like, that's pretty that's a little outlandish, especially in the manner in which it happened. You mean that he wakes up and there's an Indian guy standing there is like, what happened to you? And he just like breaks his back back. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> basically, yes. <laughs> oh, 
But none of that is what this show did. That's and, another trope in comics and like any kind of superhero stuff is you're going to encounter some random person who can just like fix whatever that is. Like, oh, I happen to be also imprisoned here and I also happen to know how to fix your broken back. Like in the Punisher movie with uh, John Travolta, oddly enough, that he's come up again. He played Howard Saint. Wait, w- was it the Dolph Lundgren one or the other one? Because I don't know the actor who played in the other one. I can't think of his name. Dolph Lundgren. Didn't he play the Punisher once? I don't know. No, it wasn't him. It was the one that came out in like the early 2000s. Yeah, Thomas Jane uh, is that guy's name. Okay. 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 I never actually saw it. So I had no idea that John Travolta was in it. Well, there's a scene where, you know, his whole family is mowed down, basically. But he also gets shot up. But he manages to kind of escape. And he's found like they're they're on like a beach or something. It doesn't really matter. But he's found like riddled with bullets, but still alive by what looks like a witch doctor. (laughs) Like (laughs) this random dude just like finds him. And then you just flash forward a while and he's like leaving that guy's hut. He's like, all right, I'm out. Thanks. Like, I'm totally fine now because it's it's a good thing. I washed up on the beach right in front of this guy who knows how to remove a bunch of bullets from somebody with what medical tools? I don't know. (laughs) I think the term you're looking for is plot convenience. Yeah. That's really what that boils down to. So I could be wrong, but if I had to take a wild guess, I'm going to say this is going to be a watch un unquestionable watch from both Ryan and myself. Totally. Absolutely. A watch. Any of the old Batman stuff is a watch. I mean, there are so many things from those shows the Justice League ones, the Superman Batman show, like back when mm-hmm. that was a thing where they would kind of alternate which one story they were telling. And then they'd have crossover events or which like crossover movies. Yeah. <sighs> There's one where basically like they're dealing with the Joker and Lex together. And it's great because it shows how the Joker can even like get the better of a, a hero like Superman. Cause it's like, you have to expect the unexpected. Yeah. This this Joker is a very expect the unexpected kind of Joker. It's it's so well done. And for those of you, if you have not ever watched that show, if you have not experienced Mark Hamill's Joker, I think this watching this movie um, is a really good way to introduce that character for you. Yeah, because you already know the Joker. You don't need any origins or anything with that. But just the parts that he is in this, it's a really good job of showing the highs and lows of this Joker. Yeah. And it's not, he's not the main focus. He's very much a side character, but it's just this like little glance, you know, sometimes it's, I always like, I always like in movies seeing a character when they're not expecting to be observed, when it's not them behaving the way they're supposed to. And somebody in front of somebody else, I like these, Moments that they have where, you know, the character you're following sees them in some circumstance they don't know they're being seen in. It's very revealing and it's kind of a, a neat way to tell something about somebody without having to explicitly say it. And this is kind of that for the Joker. It's like this is just he's just caught up in this story a little bit. Like he's just yeah. very much a side character. And it's like, hey, you know, here's what like he's not even the villain of this. And here here's some stuff that he's doing. <laughs> and he's not. But. It also is so well written that one of these other side characters who kind of brings him into what's going on in the present, he brings him in because they have history together. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just, hey, I'm going to go find this this Joker character that I've heard about. It's There's a reason for him to go looking for the Joker. Yeah, he's even like, I know this is a bad idea, but I have to. Like, I don't have any other option. It This was well done. More so than I really expected. I was glad, excuse me, I was glad that I had never seen it. And being able to bring me back, the whole nostalgia thing, checking out these characters again, getting reintroduced to this world in a way that I didn't know because I hadn't seen this before. So for those of you who have not seen it, I recommend it. Uh, For those of you who know that world and grew up with the animated series, if you haven't watched it in a while, this is worth it. This is worth checking out and just, just, you know, it's short. 
but it's enjoyment, pure, purely well-written, good characters, fun time. I'm just, yeah, thanks for, thanks for picking this one, Ryan. This was a good one. I, I enjoyed it immensely. And I think it's an endorsement of those stories in general, those older movies and shows, because there's stuff where, I mean, it's just, it's just good writing. There's mm-hmm. a lot of it that's just good writing where, you know, people just act like people, even superheroes. They just act like people. The villains are are often people. They have some kind of motivation. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're just meant to be a simple, you know, henchman, gangster, monster, whatever. Right. But a lot of the time there's something to them. There's a lot of nuance. Like uh, the episode where they introduce Clayface is a great example, like shows this guy's this struggling actor who becomes Clayface and how that happens and Mm -hmm. how his life is. And it leaves it very open ended. And it's just really, really well done. And then there's some like heartwarming stuff too, but I'm not going to get into any of that because who wants to hear that? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly none of our Halligans out there. No, you wouldn't want to hear that. So we've talked for almost an hour about a movie that's about an hour. <laughs> right. <laughs> Without oh talking too much about it. But good conversation. It was. This is, uh, this is, this is one to remember. And it kind of makes me want to, watch and get back into that world. Do I have time to? I sincerely doubt it. But if I do have some free time, it would be nice to check it out too. But we got too many other movies on our list that we need to watch. I mean, and if nice- anybody out there wants to add to the movies on our list to watch, you can hit us up and we will. I promise you, we will watch it and then talk about it. Where can that happen, Ryan? Well, that could happen at moviehowl at gmail.com or on twitter at moviehowl well uh halligans i'm pretty sure we've talked about everything in this we want to and this might be a case where we're going to say that but we're not going to then talk again for 15 more minutes on it i think we're literally done talking about it well i didn't get to bring up green arrow uh uh no i I brought up green Arrow. i said you just mentioned i did i did mention him i didn't you know i wasn't talking about the the show but I did mention Green Arrow. I did say the name. Uh, yep. So I think that's it. It's an endorsement of this, which is on HBO Max, at least. It's where we watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the whole, that whole series, that original run of Batman, and really most of the, the stories that came afterward. Yeah. They're all really great. You can't, it's really hard to go wrong with those. And they're short. Like the episodes are maybe. 20 minutes yeah it's, yeah it's your basic 20 probably 20 22 minute episode because yeah. you had to throw in commercials for your 30 minute episode but just good characters well written check it out and yeah. once again thank you to everyone who listened who enjoys as we said if you have questions comments let us know but otherwise i've been joe i've been ryan and we're out <laughs>